Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. Okay, guys. Let's look at God's Word. We've been looking at 1 Thessalonians. We're up to chapter 4. The last two weeks were pretty heavy. I know they were because we talked about the whole issue of existing in our culture that is so saturated with sex and what the Apostle Paul was talking about that we should avoid that. Now he's going to move on and he's going to talk about you living your life out in this culture and your faith being expressed in how you live. And that's very important for us because the reality is, is for a lot of people in church, we just think, well, going to church is enough, simply believing is enough. But God's going to call us to something different. He's going to call us to live in a different way. And what does that mean, George? Well, we're going to look here in a second. We're going to look specifically today at verses 9 through 12. So let's take a look at these verses today and see what he's going to tell us as far as how we live our life out, how we live out what we believe, in this culture. Look with me at verse 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. What we're going to do, folks, is we're going to take these few verses and we're going to divide it into two sections. We're going to look at verses 9 and 10, and we're going to see the ability to love. He's going to talk about that you and I have an ability to love, and that needs to be expressed. And then he's going to tell us how to live in verses 11 and 12. So let's look, first of all, at this issue of the ability to love. Look at what he says there in verse 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. First thing I want you to see here, he's, he's going to talk about brotherly love, and, and we all know that that's one of the commandments Jesus gave us, that we love one another. But Paul's going to make a point here that you and I understand some things about that issue of loving each other. First of all, he's going to tell us that we cannot teach each other to show brotherly love. Have you noticed, I mean, if you've been around church for a long time, we have retreats to tell you how to pray, We have studies that tell you how to read your Bible. But have you noticed that we've never had a seminar or you've never attended a seminar that taught you how to love each other? Have you noticed that? Because the reality is is that you can't teach each other. I can't teach you how to love other people. Have you noticed that? There are no classes. Have you noticed on the New York Times bestseller list, there are no books that says how to love everybody. Ten steps to being a more loving person. 
There's just no way to instruct you in that. Do you understand? But that's something that we need to do. So it's not something that we can teach you. That's the first point he's making here. When you talk about the issue of loving each other, it's not something that we can teach you. So you say, okay, George, well, who teaches us then? Look at the second part of that verse. Look at what he says there, verse 9. But for you yourselves are taught by who? God to love one another. The second thing I want you to see here is this. God teaches us to love each other. God teaches us to love each other. When you become a believer, the person of the Holy Spirit enters into your life. He guides you. He teaches you. And he gives you the ability, to be honest with you, because of his overflowing love of who he is, he gives you the ability to love other people, even the people you don't like. So when you hear Jesus say things like, love your enemies, that doesn't seem difficult if you have the Holy Spirit in your life, because he's the one who teaches you to do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's the one that teaches you to love each other. And one of the things that we want to strive for in our church here is that this church is a place that's marked by love for one another. Now, how are we going to do that? Well, we're not going to do it through a seminar. We're going to do it because we respond to God's Spirit as he teaches us to do that. Now, let me just stop for a moment. What's the practical implications of that? The practical implication is this. All of us here, let's just stop for a moment. Learning to love people is not natural. Does anybody hear what I'm saying? You may want to write that down. Learning to love someone is not natural. It just doesn't flow out of you naturally. Why? Because, well, at at first, you, you can easily love your own children, and you can easily love your spouse, but even that changes, doesn't it? Okay? Talk to people who've been married for a while. There are things that they'll do that will pluck your nerves. Right? Am I the only one that experiences that? No. Okay, they'll do things that'll pluck your nerves. And if they do it over a long period of time, you just don't like them. Let alone love them. So loving someone is not something that's natural. But the problem is is we can't teach each other to do that. So here you are. You're in church. You love this church. You like being a part of this church. But let's be just flat out honest. You you might get along and love a few people here, but there are some people that just simply pluck your nerves. That's a polite way to say it. They just simply tick you off. And you're not looking forward to seeing them. And and maybe every time your interaction with them, it is just abrasive. And every time you're with them, you're like, ah! But yet you hear God say, love one another. By this shall you know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. And you know that as a believer, you need to what? You need to love them. Who's going to help you? Because it sure isn't George. It's not going to be a Sunday school class. It's not going to be a book. Who's going to help you to do that? God himself will. And for some of us, let's just stop for a moment. Maybe that's what we need to start doing is asking him to teach us. God, help me to love that person. Help me to love the unlovable. 
Did you understand? Maybe you need to write that down. Help me to love the unlovable. Because in our minds, there are some certain people that we just classify right off the bat as being what? Unlovable. Help me to love the unlovable, Lord. Teach me to do that. May your love so overflow out of my life that I love them, even in spite of who they are. And in spite of what they've done. In fact, isn't that what the Old Testament teaches us? That love covers a multitude of what? Sins. What does that mean? Love overlooks the junk in people's lives. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that when somebody truly loves them, no matter how how wrong they may have been or the stuff that they may have done, love will overlook that because love is concerned for their what? Greater good. And you and I need to be like that. We need to allow God to teach us that. So it's not something that we can teach you. It's something that God has to teach you. So that's really powerful for us as a church, isn't it? If we're going to be a church where God's love is shown, he's got to be the one to teach us that. And notice the next point here. Affection for each other is an evidence that we've learned to love. How do I know that I that I'm that God is teaching me to love and that I'm responding to it? How do I know that that's taking place? Well, the fact of the matter is is you're going to be concerned for and have affection for even the one that ticks you off. Did you know what I'm saying? You're going to have affection for even the one who irritates you. You know how you know that you're growing in this area? Is that even though you, you're, it's like, okay, you hear that something wrong goes in their life, and, it, and your response isn't, yeah, they deserve that. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? When the person that really is the thorn in your side, and you're really irritated with them, and you don't like their personality, and they're just rough and abrasive, and you just, you just, and you're, you just don't like them. How you know that you're being taught? By God to love is when you hear that they're going through something, you're not responding, yeah, they deserve that. You're like, man, I can't believe they're going through that. I need to pray for them. I wonder if there's something I can do to help them. You know you've changed when that happens, right? Who made that change? God did in your life. God changed you. Did you understand what I'm saying? God did a work in your life. Isn't that what we want to see happen? Hopefully that's what you want to see happen in your life, right? In fact, isn't that the fruit of the Spirit? One of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Love. Love. Love towards who? Towards other people. Especially those who what? Irritate you. Did you understand what I'm saying? Especially to those that irritate you. So affection for each other is an evidence that we have learned to love. And so, but here, Paul's not just satisfied with just that we learn to love each other. Look at what he says here. The last part of verse 10, he says this. And we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. What's he talking about there? He, he, what he's saying is that we must increase in our love for each other. See, it's just not good enough to say, oh yeah, I used to be irritated with them, but now I'm, I'm tolerating them. Yeah, that, that's moving. 
you've moved from really being royally ticked off at them would never help them to now to where you're like, well, I, I can tolerate them. They're, they're not plucking me that bad. No, you've got to keep moving. You've got to keep increasing. You've got to keep increasing in your love towards them. Because if you're not increasing in your love towards them, folks, it's sort of like with the Christian life. If you're not going forwards, you're always going to go backwards. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're not going forward, you're always going to go backwards. Have you noticed that? There's no, there's no plateaus when it comes to the issue of love. There's no plateaus when it comes to the issue of relationships. So he's saying to them, I can't teach you this. God has to teach you this. And it's evidence that God is teaching you this because it flows out of your life, and that's the testimony that you have to all of Macedonia. In fact, listen to that. He says, everybody in your state knows about your love. Can somebody say that about you? Can somebody say that you've learned to love from God so that if somebody were to ask you at work, what kind of person is that? They would say, oh, man, he is such a kind, loving person. Or do they say, he's a jerk? What's the testimony? And he says here, but that's not good enough. You've got to keep increasing. You've got to keep moving forward. You've got to keep having love expressed in your life towards others. Folks, that's true for me and that's true for you. So how are we doing? Are we increasing in love or not? Let's go on there. He tells us how to live then. Look with me. We're just going to look at a few verses here at a time, just, just only two verses. Look at verse 11. <clears throat> and look what he says here. That you aspire to lead a quiet life. Now, what's he talking about here, a quiet life? So before some of you realize, because some of you are, I know some of you are party animals. I know that. You just love, you just love noise. You love making noise. You are the life of the party. Quietness does not even describe you in any way. And so when you read a scripture like this that says that you should aspire to lead a quiet life, it's like, what are you asking me to do? I can't do that. I'm loud. Some of you are loud, right? Now, some of you who are quiet are like, yeah, I can handle that. That's not what he's talking about here. Our English translation translates it quiet, but that's not what the word means. The word means, are you ready for this? Restful. Restful. That, I think, speaks to every one of us here. What do you mean, George? Here's what he's asking us to do. It should be our ambition to lead a restful life. Here's what he's telling us how to live our life, that we should lead a restful life. Now, let me ask you, just, for, just be frank, just be honest with me. How many, like, like me, had a hectic week this week? Your week was pure chaos. You're willing to say that. How many else? I mean, you're honest to say, man, my week was crazy. The reality is, is that we haven't, have we? we? We bounce around. Seriously, think about it for a moment. If you've got kids who are involved in sports, you know what it's like. 
you're bouncing around from this event to the next event to this event to that event to that school function to this school function to that game to that game to this practice to that. Not including your doctor's appointments that are all in between there and dentist appointments and work stuff and the boss calling you and asking if you could come in earlier or sooner or later or come in on your day off. And some of you turn your phones off on your day off, right? We live such hectic lives. And isn't that what our culture is? Our culture is based on hecticness, isn't it? That you've got, in fact, our culture says, what do you mean you've got nothing to do? There's something wrong with you. If you don't have ten things listed for the next hour, you've got a problem. But here's what he's telling us to do. How am I to live in this culture? The first thing he tells us to do is, is that we should make it our ambition. What does that mean? Our goal. You should be striving for a restful life. A restful life. Because the reality is, is how many of us, let's be honest, how many of us, we sit there and, and what's your week like, honey? Oh, it's just so crazy. Just so crazy. And you don't know how to say no. If you know what I'm talking about, you can't say no. So somebody adds more stuff onto your calendar, more stuff onto your schedule. And you, when you go to bed, you're hoping you can get some sleep, but it's exhaustion, but you can't sleep because what's going through your mind? What's going on the next day? What's carrying over? He's telling you here. What are you going to do? You've got to make an ambition to lead a restful life. He goes on. One other thing he says here. Look with me. Verse 11. This is really powerful. Man, how many times was this verse here in the churches I've been in and, and, and people didn't do this? Look at what it says there. I think all of us would agree with this. And mind your own business. I mean, it's, it should be enough that we just focus on our own lives and, and, and lead a restful life for ourselves. But some of us, we got to know what's going on in somebody else's life, don't we? Don't we? And so the point he's making here is that we should keep our focus on our own business. Folks, mind your own business. Isn't your life chaotic enough that you got to worry about what's happened in so-and-so's life? You know, there, there is this need to know that we have, right? Some of us have to crucify it. Because the reality is, is that we don't need to know. There's enough on my own plate. Why should I bother taking some of your stuff and worrying about it? And that's what he's saying here. Make an ambition to lead a restful life and mind your own business. That's pretty good, right? Mind your own business. Here's the third thing he says. This is good. Verse 11. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you. What in the world is he talking about there? Well, here's what he's saying. You should be productive and not burden others. As I lead this restful life and as I... Mind my own business. I need to be productive in my life and don't allow myself to become a burden to other people. That's what he's talking about here. Because there are people that do that. How's things going? Oh, they're going so bad. You think you can help me out? 
and they just, they just impose their stuff on you. No. Paul's saying, look, we come. In fact, notice something. Right after he says that, as we what? Commanded you. It's not an option. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to be productive and not allow yourself to be a what? A burden to other people. A burden to other people. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's stressing here. And then finally, look at verse 12. That you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. What is he saying here? That we live properly before those outside of the church. What's he talking about here, George? Well, he's talking about how you live your life and interact with people who don't know Jesus. So let me ask you a question. How are you with that? Does your faith guide how you live? What do you mean? Well, he just told you some things right here. Make it an ambition to seek a restful life. Mind your own business. Be productive. Don't be a burden with somebody else. How are you at work? Or do you just let it all hang out? Do you know what I mean? You're just real. But it's not real real because you're not who you really are, and that's a believer before them. He's saying that we should live properly in front of those who are outside of the church. How are you doing? How am I doing? Are you living properly? That's really a key thing, isn't it? If I'm going to live in this world, I need to what? Have God teach me to love and let that love flow out of my life towards other people. And I need to live in such a way that I'm concerned about who I am in Christ and that I'm living the right way in front of other people. I'm not talking being legalistic. I'm just talking about being civil. I'm not talking about that you are perfect, but I'm talking about that you don't live in front of others like the culture lives. You live as a different person. That there's something different about you. So let me just stop for a moment. I want you to think about what he said here. How's that possible? Well, you know what the culture's like? The culture wants you to fill your plate to the point that you go crazy. The culture, listen to me, is so focused on itself and hecticness and getting everything in it doesn't understand restfulness, but there you are living out in front of the people that you work with and what you're striving for. Not to be crazy and not to be chaotic, but to what? To be restful. The culture is concerned about Have you noticed this at work? That's why we have grapevines. You know, church is not the only place where gossip exists. Gossip exists everywhere because everybody else is worried about who? What somebody else is doing. In fact, that's why Facebook exists, folks. You know what I'm saying? I mean, have you creeped on anybody lately? I can't even believe we have that in our in our vocabulary now. I was creeping on so and so. That doesn't sound good. But that's acceptable now in Facebook world because you're checking out what's going on with them. Mind your own business. Right? And don't be a burden on people. You be productive. That, my friends, is going to stand as a testimony to those who are outside of the church. And that's what he's calling us to. He's saying we should live properly before those who are outside of the church. So you say, okay, George, all right. 
He's talking about love, being taught by love, expressing love towards each other. He's talking about how we should live our life in light of this culture. What do we do with this? Well, let me give you a couple thoughts here. Here's the first question. And again, with all of my questions, it's not an issue of, it's not an issue of answering it right now. It's something for you to think about. So write this down. Do you give any thought to how you live your life? That's a serious question. Most of us, I'll just be flat out honest with you, don't. Because we just get up in the morning and we just get right into the rut of life and the routine of our week. And we just go with the flow and we respond to the flow. And what life has to throw at us that week, that's how we respond. None of us, can be honest with you, most of us here, don't really give any thought to how am I living my life today? How am I living my life today? How am I living my life in front of those who don't know Jesus? How am I living my life towards those who are that I do know who love Jesus, who are part of my church? How am I living my life? Am I loving them? Am I learning to love them? God, are you teaching me? Have you given any thought to how you live how you live your life? Here's the second one. Is your faith evident in your life? Is your faith evident in your life? Now, let me just stop for a moment, because when we talk about faith, immediately someone will say, well, I believe, I have faith. Faith is more than that, folks. Faith is a trust in and a commitment to the Word of God in spite of circumstances. It's a trust in God, and that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not just a set of facts that are in your mind. It is something that you truly believe that impacts who you are. So let me ask you something. Is that evident to others around you? Can people tell that there's something different about you? They may not be able to pinpoint it, but they know there's something different about you. There's some How you live your life, what guides your life, what motivates you is different. Is that evident in your life? You've got to ask yourself that question. You've got to wrestle with that. You've got to wrestle with that. For so long in the church, we just said, oh, as long as you believe and as long as you're saved, you're okay. And we live like hell the rest of the week. We had folks who were just mean and belligerent towards each other. And we said, they're okay because they're going to heaven. Do you think they're going to be acting mean and belligerent in heaven? I would go ahead and say, do you think they're going to go to heaven? Because your faith is expressed in your life. And I can already tell you, if that's the way they are, they sure aren't listening to the teacher. Who's that? God. About what? Loving each other. Loving each other. So here's the action point. Here's what we got to do this week. we got to ask the Spirit to help you to express your faith in your life. you got to go to Him and you got to say to Him, Lord, you know I love you. You know I believe in you. Help that to show in my life. Help that to be expressed in the way that I live my life. Help me to seek a restful life. Help me, help me to be, not be focused on whatever else is doing, but focus on myself. Mind my own business. Help me to be productive. Help me to live my life in such a way that others can see. They may not know what it is, but they can see that something is different about me, and it's you. Help me to love, Lord. Help me to listen to your instructions about love. Help 
my faith to be expressed in my life. That's what we need to pray this week. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.